I would be able to make a positive difference in the lives of other people. I was able to achieve my dreams and work on eradicate some of the world's top diseases. I was able to get the education that I always wanted. Because of you, I will be paying it forward and serving my nation. Join us at thanksusa.org. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your attorney, accountant, financial advisor, or tax advisor prior to investing. This show contains forward-looking statements that may not come true. Securities Investment Advisory Services offered through Grove Point Financial, member FINRA SIPC, Grove Point Financial, and Kelch Associates are unaffiliated companies. And folks, this program is intended for Wisconsin residents only. It is Saturday morning, and that means we are here, at least I am here in the studio. Merle Kelch is here on uh, location today and uh, joins us, but he can take your questions, 715-845-2155, the number to call here if you have a question for Merle. Good morning, sir. Well, good morning, Tom. Good morning, everybody. It is indeed wet out there, so we have a uh, motorcycle funeral today in which we have to take the motorcycles for a procession. Well, with the rain this morning and the humidity so high, nothing's drying out, so we're going to have about you know 200 guys and gals with wet cans at a funeral today, so it'll be kind of fun. Yeah, wet wet leather. That doesn't sound. This is sound very appetizing, actually. Well, that kind of sounds kind of fun, but Tom, my safe word is pineapple. Just yeah. to let you know. All right, seven one five eight four five twenty one fifty five. I would imagine most uh, big time investors, and I would imagine most people in your line of work, are keeping their eyes on Jackson Hole, Wyoming, this week, where the Fed is meeting to talk about what they're going to do going forward. The markets had a down week because apparently somewhere in the minutes of one of the Fed meetings, they talked about uh, at least slowing down the purchase of bonds that have you know, basically been the, uh, the propping up of the market over the last few years. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your take on this and where do you think, what do you think the Fed's going to do at this point in time? Uh, boy, um, first of all, I had like this whole thing I wanted to start talking about. You threw me completely off. So now I have to think for the morning. <laughs> okay. Thank God I got the coffee in. <laughs> You know, it, what, it, it is true. One of the things that's been holding up the bond marketplace has been the Federal Reserve. And so some of the tools that are allowed to the Federal Reserve is, of course, increasing or lowering interest rates, which we're all familiar with. We've all heard that our whole lifetime. Um, and in doing so, um, the second thing they do is they buy bond purchases. So when the Federal Reserve goes out and they start buying bonds in the open marketplace, banks have the ability to lend money, and they don't have to hold that. They can only consult to the Federal Reserve. So they've not been buying, of course, uh, mortgage-backed securities, but they bought some corporate stuff, too. So when somebody's buying something, that, of course, holds up the price. And what should be happening is bond prices should be dropping because uh, though the interest rates aren't rising directly, in them going up, interest rates and bond prices go inversely. And so as the interest rates go, the bond prices drop. And we've not really seen that happen. So a normal event should be is that the bond prices should start dropping and the reason that's important, Tom, for everybody is that when you have a rising inflationary environment, interest rates go up, and you go and you start buying bonds because that's where you can make money when things slow down. Well, it's kind of odd because that's not really happening right now. So everybody's, again, still really saying, well, what's going on? The second part about this, we want to know what's going on with the bond prices. Um, uh, and, and what the Federal Reserve is going to do is if they stop buying the bonds, not only is it going to drop the price, um, but it's going to start then, uh, you know, having the market slow down a little bit because it's not going to be an easy place for us to buy that. Uh, banks are going to say, well, if we get a hold of them, we want a higher interest rate um, on these bonds. We're not going to be able to sell them. And now we only have a certain amount of money which we have to lend. So the banking system slows down. And it tends to slow the economy a little bit as a result. So so that's the, the big thing that people are watching. And it's been 
kind of telegraphed that they said they're going to start doing some tapering, and that's the term that they use, um, is tapering off the amount of bonds that they're going to buy inside of the marketplace. I remember years ago, and boy, Tom, was it about 2010, 2012, somewhere in the middle of there, we had, they call it the taper tantrum. Uh, the market went crazy when the Federal Reserve said, well, we're going to you know, start selling off our bonds now, we're going to stop buying them. So well, we that's, why the headline on, that, but, uh, that's why the headline on CNBC today says Fed officials will seek to avoid a tantrum as they keep their taper talk going at Jackson Hole. Exactly, exactly. So I think what ends up happening is that they um, don't start selling it off, they end up buying less. Remember that the bonds mature. At some point in time, you get the cash back. And so the Federal Reserve doesn't have to start selling them into the marketplace, which is what um, the Federal Reserve under Ben Bernanke did. Um, and I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but what we learn from that is that if you stop buying them and you start selling them back, you end up having a double effect and ends up putting it dries up a lot of cash inside of the marketplace. And so what we might see is that the Federal Reserve says, well, we're going to start buying less but we're not going to sell any, and we'll wait for some of these to mature. So if some of these bonds are maturing in 5 or 10 or 15 years, well, the, the money just comes back to the, uh, the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve, of course, has the ability to let those mature naturally. So we'll see what happens, but that's the big thing that's out there right now is to say, hey, what's, uh, uh, what's going on with the Federal Reserve? Is this giving us some sort of a telegraph or vision into what we think is going to happen into the economy coming up into the future. Well, what what does all this mean, not only for the average investor looking at bonds? I know you haven't been a big fan over the last few years, but what does it mean for the average investor and their equity portfolio as well, short term? Well, you know, normally what happens, you have this rotation of money that goes from stocks to bonds during an inflationary type of environment. Um, it's usually as you're uh, in a recessionary environment, in which we're not, by the way. Um, um, so that's usually the rotation that happens, and everything's kind of screwed up. And so, uh, again, this is another one of those things we're in an area that we haven't really had before because of COVID, and so everybody's just kind of waiting around to see what occurs. You know, um, in here, let me let me make sure I say this in here, and this comes from Brian Westbury, who is probably my favorite economist that's out there out of First Trust in Chicago. i got to make sure I give him the, uh, the props, as the vernacular goes these days. And, and I'm going to read this uh, verbatim. He says, the easiest way we can describe the current environment in the short term, uh, is that forecasting in the short term at least is easy. As the virus wanes and the U.S. rides a wave of easy money and debt, the economy, earnings, and equity values will continue to rise, as will inflation. Um, and we do this in favor, uh, and so in doing so, we favor hard assets and equities over long-duration fixed income. And, and so in that, just kind of answers the, the questions that you ask is that where do we go with the money? Well, right now, with when we don't know what's happening with that bonds, interest rates are essentially on the floor. We can't jump off them. They're going to uh, trail up because of inflation. Uh, we want to stay away from longer-duration fixed income or bonds at this point in time, especially with the prices being pri- propped up and so high um, in the equity market because there's so much money out there looking for something to buy at the moment. Um, the equity marketplace continues to be the place we want to be at and with companies still making money and doing so. When you say hard assets, what do you mean by that? Cash, gold, stuff like hard that? Hard assets are the things that you, you can own. Um, remember, when you buy a stock of Nike, Tom, that means you own Nike. And so that's considered a hard asset. Um, stocks, you know, your 401ks, as long as you're not inside of that bond side of it, is what they're recommending on the inside. I saw, um, I saw a news story, uh, I think it was yesterday or the day before, that um, 401ks and IRAs, are at like record levels that mm-hmm. uh, that uh, they've just been going crazy. We've um, had a bigger people putting money into it and just a dramatic uh, 
incredible marketplace over the course of the last 18 months has been phenomenal. Now, you know, the next question is, how long is that going to last? And what do you do if you sense it's going to change? Yeah, well, I think it's going to last just before it goes down. <laughs> well, thank you very much for that, yes. The grand Puba putting on his swami hat here. I, I, and I understand. Uh, you know, that's, that's the that, reason that we have this show, Tom, is right. so I can expel this type of wisdom. Yeah, yeah expel is the right word. Um, <laughs> no, but I, I mean, seriously, I mean, you have to look at, your clients' portfolios, where they're sitting at yeah, a particular yeah. moment in time and say, all right, in the next six months, in the next year, in the next two years, sure. in the next five years, what's going to be happening and how do we diversify to get the best return? Well, you know, Tom, the, the, the biggest thing we've said so many times in this program is that you have to just be diversified and be patient. You can make some adjustments, but you can't have the knee-jerk reactions that kills you. So we, had a, we have a client that uh, um, uh, she hasn't seen us for the last couple of years. We did a portfolio for her that was diversified. She says, this one I just want to leave on my own, and we straightened out a problem that she had had someplace else. We straightened out, so she took this portfolio out, and she decided to do her own thing. So the market was crashing in 2020. She took the market, and she went in and buy some really aggressive technology types of stuff. I'm not going to say what she used and, and at, uh, at this particular point in time of her life. She should not have done that. But um, as the beginning of this year came around, she had uh, uh, boasted, and so, well, you know, look at yours. Your rate of returns were this, but I did almost a hundred percent rate of return. I'm like, that's fantastic, good for you. Um, the unfortunate part is, it was so heavily technology driven, is that as this year has come along, the stuff that she was in, of course, much of the technology has been down this year, and she just got hammered, just blasted. And so, as we did a review this summer, we look at the portfolio. Then over the year and a half that uh, we had put, which is diversified portfolio, and it had a real nice rate of return. You know, nobody nobody could argue with that. And uh, her portfolio ended up averaging at the same time really about the same percentage. I think she might have been up about 2% more. Um, and the reason was it was just diversification. So she had this great big euphoria riding the wave up when it went up so much. And, of course, then the depression because it all came back down again to some normalcy. And so diversification tends to work the best, even if the stock market is going up and say, well, it looks like the stock market is going to slow down. If the stock market slows down, that's fine inside of a portfolio. Um, but it's that point in time we look at it and say, okay, now is the time uh, do we start picking up um, a part of the portfolio that we're doing right now and adding some money to bonds inside the portfolio. And that's going to be a different percentage based upon everybody. Tom, you might be more aggressive than me. I might be more conservative. might want to have a little bit more money inside of my bonds. And that's the piece of the portfolio that's been missing in a lot of portfolios over the course of the last number of years because the bond marketplace has just been so overpriced and we haven't bought. And so you tend to use some sort of a supplement rather than bonds at this point in time, but those things will still continue to hold up even if the stock market drops. And, and the stock market is going to come down at some point in time. We don't know when. Uh, and, in fact, uh, this leads to another article that's up there. Well, I'll tell you what, sure. before, before you jump into that article, let's take a quick break here. We'll take a break. We'll come back with more. If you have a question from our old yeah. phone lines, are open here, 715-845-2155. We'll be right back on WSAU. We are Lions. We bring hope where it's needed. We are a global force for good. Support causes that matter. Change lives. Change communities. Change the world. We can do more together than we can alone. Join in. Experience the joy of serving. Fast. It sounds like a Starbucks order, right? Are you half-vac, full-vac, no-vac? I don't know what to say or do anymore. Hear about it, then talk about it. People are really divided on a lot of things. On WSAU and WSAU.com. 
We're back in the studio. I'm Tom King. Merle Kelch joining us on location today, but he can take your questions, 715-845-2155. Before the break, you had another topic you wanted to dive into. Yeah, well, just furthers on what we were talking about before, Tom, where you asked the question and says, okay, so it looks like the market's about to drop. What do we do? And so, yeah, the opinion of me and through modern portfolio theory and others is that you um, you remain diversified, but you may want to make some adjustments along the way, but um, because we don't know when the market's going to drop. Um, I've said it so many times before, you know, people will say, well, Merle, the stock market's as high as it's ever been. I'm like, great, and I hope it goes higher. It's not about where the stock market is. It's about the ability of the companies underneath that stock market to be able to produce a profit and to continue to increase it. So sometimes stocks individually um, get way out of whack where they're overpriced versus what they have the ability to create a profit for, and that might make a market as a whole be overpriced. And so if we look at that and say the market as a whole overpriced, well, maybe, so then maybe we, we you know, do something different or add more bonds to a portfolio, ideally. Um, and at this point in time, it looks like the answer is that, no, the stock market is really not over that price. Certain pockets, maybe, but uh, at large, it's really not all that overpriced from what we're seeing. So as a result, there's no way to get out of it, in which we just talked about with uh, Brian Westbury, who said, in the near term, hard assets is where we're staying, not in any sort of long term debt. Well, most most average investors, and correct me if I'm wrong, most average investors have mutual funds as the biggest part of their portfolio, and yeah. those those are managed and controlled by other people, by fund managers, yep. by companies. So, yeah. mm-hmm. how does the average investor keep track of what their fund managers are doing as far as keeping those funds diversified? You know. Uh, it's interesting is we'll go through and we'll talk to clients and, and say, okay, how involved do you want to be inside of your portfolio? I would say more than 80%, maybe even close to 90%. Say, I don't. I just want to, yeah. you know, the old yeah. Ron Popeil, set it and forget it. Yeah. Um, and then you have the clients that say, well, I want to, you know, have a strong stock portfolio in which they want to do a lot of trading and moving some money back and forth. And so then we have to implement some other things in there, which portfolio managers would do. So we can track and manipulate what the risk might be. Um, and so for most people, they set it up and you let the fund managers do it. I mean, that's what they do. Um, you know, fund managers have hundreds of assistants analyzing stocks down to the nth degree. Um, and uh, and so if you think, folks, your financial advisor is looking at every single portfolio and investment in stock that you have and looking at it down to the nth degree, they're not. They can't. You, when you have, you know, two or three or four or 500 households that are looking at every certain person's portfolio every day, it's impossible. It can't happen. But fund managers do do that because they have the staff for it. And so um, I'm a big fan of using mutual funds, especially during retirement, because it's easy for us to make sure we have that money going back and forth. And so do we pay a fee for that? Absolutely we do. We pay a management fee. Uh, that's more than if you had individual stocks, and you're managing them on your own or with a financial advisor or something. So it's just we're, we're paying a fee to have that done. But then the manager inside of that mutual fund is making that determination on your behalf saying, do we need to have more inside of XYZ sector and less inside of ABC sector? And do we want to add some more of this or add some more of that? Or maybe add some more bonds or not add some more bonds, depending upon the type of mutual fund that you may have. And, and so with that, um, let, let the fund managers do it. The individuals don't do it. And don't try to guess what your 401k is. Just seek an advisor to help you get diversified and monitor and groom it as years go on, as, as things may be needed. So I always think that's the better way to do that. That said, we do do stock portfolios for clients, but we have to measure the risk on that then in the portfolio. It's another way called uh, beta-weighted averaging to measure the risk of the portfolio so we know what it is today and where it is in three years and five years, doing some of the stuff that mutual funds do automatically. So so with it then, 
um, if you're using mutual funds, it's diversified. So if the market starts fluctuating all over the place, largely you, you, you kind of leave it alone. Let the fund managers do some of the small finesse things. They just make big decisions such as, well, do you want to take a, a third of the portfolio and move it over here into uh, something that's safer? Notice I didn't say half or three quarters, Tom, but <laughs> you know, maybe do we move a third? You know, some of those sort of questions that you have. But you have to stay in there. As the market goes down, we don't know what. We don't know when it's going to start going back up again. And if you miss it going back up again, um, uh, you tend to be in a, a worse situation than if you would have left alone and let it sit there. In fact, that tends to be what happens most of the time. Now, on that, Mark DeCambry actually had a uh, an article that oh. I thought was pretty interesting. Here be- today. Before you jump into that, let's yep. go to the phone here this morning. We've got a call. Good morning. Who are we talking to? Jim. Jim, go ahead. You're on with Merle. Morning, Jim. Hi, Merle. Uh, say, how sophisticated do one have to be to use options? Jim, you need a doctor degree in thermonuclear dynamics. <laughs> How's That's that? That's what I'm afraid you're going to say. Yeah. You yeah. know, Jim, boy, you know, using options, um, they can really be of a benefit, but you can lose more money than you've ever believed in, 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 in days if you do them wrong. Um, Jim, for an example, I'm licensed to do options, and I won't do them. How's that? And, and the reason is because most people, when they're doing options, they're starting to get, uh, they try to start getting fancy with it. And I'm using that for just a, a simple term. Um, and they leave themselves exposed. And if you have uncovered calls or uncovered options that you don't have the stuff behind, you have a potential of unlimited loss. And most people don't like that if it happens. That was an attempt at humor <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah. Yeah. Unlimited is a bad term. Yes. Um, so there's just some things that are out there that are uh, using options uh, that make perfectly good sense. Uh, you know, one of them is we've talked about before is called a short against the box, um, and that works great for for uh, tax standpoint, especially with long-term taxes. But I'm sorry, capital gains taxes potentially changing here. Maybe you got a great run-up in a stock, and you want to hold on to that price, but you want to hold on to that stock until it after reaches that, let's say, a five-year mark or a three-year mark, wherever the long-term capital gains is going to drop down. You do a thing called a short against the box, where you buy short on one and long on the other. Um, and that way you hold on to your gain, but uh, you can just continue to let that uh, ride out. So that's oh, it's one place that you use the derivatives, or it's actually well, it's not the shorting of a stock, not quite an option. And then the other one is what's called a covered call for creating additional income. So this is where you actually own the stock, and uh, somebody buys the option to buy that stock from you at a predetermined price. So let's say you own 100 shares of XYZ company, um, and uh, it's at uh, $100 a share, and somebody says, well, I want to buy the option to be able to buy your stock uh, if it goes up to 130 and your thought is, well, heck, it's never going to 130 um, but if I sell you the option to do that, I get to keep the cash. Well, after the expiration date, which is usually after about a quarter, um, if the stock didn't go up, you keep the cash. Well, if the stock went up, um, uh, you're selling the stock, and then you have to pay, of course, taxes on it. That one's good because you have the money there to cover that call. You have the stock, you have the options, what's called a, a covered call. And, and so a lot of people don't do that because stock and, and options can be really confusing, and they don't do that sort of stuff. They're trying to do a bunch of these you know, things we hear about on, on TV. Matter of fact, one of the commercials, Jim, I think they said, I did a golden candor or something like that. I have no idea what that means, by the way. So um, it's a joke in the, uh, the commercial. But so, so in options, the best advice I've ever had with it came from an investment professor. And he said, if you want to play in the options marketplace, he said, play it on paper for a year and see how you do. Um, uh, because the confusion in there is, is heavy. 
can leverage yourself both ways, up and down, and that's the part that most people miss. That's long-winded, Jim. I hope it helped. I suppose you feel the same way about Bitcoin. <laughs> Don't get him started. Oh, Jim, here we go on Bitcoin. <laughs> Jim, we're going to have to what, sit down thanks, and for the, have a... thanks for the call, Jim. Appreciate it. I'll tell you what. You can talk about Bitcoin after our news break because I know you uh, you want to weigh in on some of the situations going on. There was another big theft of uh, cryptocurrency in Japan last week. Um, and so yep. we could we could talk a little bit about that. And then you have that other article you wanted to touch on as well. We'll do that when yep. we come back from our news break here. We're with Merle Kelch, Kelch & Associates in Wausau. We'll be right back on WSAU. Unused prescription opioid pain medicines can spell trouble. They can spell risk if taken by someone they weren't prescribed for. Harm. Athletic Association and the Wisconsin Athletic Directors Association. You took the first step and quit smoking. But even former smokers may still be at risk for lung cancer. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know about a new low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early. It takes only 60 seconds and could save your life. You took the first step. Now take the next. Visit SaveByTheScan.org for a simple quiz to see if you're eligible and talk to your doctor about screening. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your attorney, accountant, financial advisor, or tax advisor prior to investing. This show contains forward-looking statements that may not come true. Securities Investment Advisory Services offered through Grove Point Financial, member FINRA SIPC, Grove Point Financial, and Kelch & Associates are unaffiliated companies. And, folks, this program is intended for Wisconsin residents only. And we're back here in the studio. At least I am. Merle Kelch on location today. But you can take your questions at 715-845-2155. Before the break, you had an article you wanted to jump into. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Uh, Mark DeCambry came, uh, had an article. And uh, in this article, it says the S&P 500 hasn't fallen 5% from the peak in nearly 200 sessions. Uh, what does this tell market historians? So this is kind of going back to see if... Uh, looking in the past has any sort of a indication to help out the future. And so with it, we are in the eighth time that this has happened in, in modern days. Um, uh, the seven times beforehand, the marketplace actually did okay with exceptional one stretch uh, from 2014 uh, into 2015, in which the, it lasted 210 sessions and was only up 6.9%. Now, we're well over that. Um, all the other ones, the worst was 14.2%, which is okay, and we're probably over that as well especially if we're looking at the S&P 500, which um, last look was up over some 18% throughout the course of just this year alone. So with it, it continued on uh, quite a bit on that 200-day uh, streak, going out to as long as the longest one that we see here was 394 days. So um, with it, we look at all the cash waiting for something to buy. I think we continue on, along as what Brian Westbury said. I think hard assets and being inside of the market is certainly the direction and a place to go. When we were talking earlier before the break about uh, management of, of mutual funds, you mentioned the fee that people pay to have their mm -hmm. funds managed. Yeah. How do you determine what is a legitimate fee, what is a, a good fee, what is uh, an overcharge, what is, uh, you know, how, do you, how, do, how are those fees put together and what should you look for? Yeah, Tom, you, you have a great question. I don't think we've addressed that in probably in years in here. And, um, and, and uh, it kind of goes back to, one of the uh, uh, the biggest dilemmas in this industry, and one of the things that can actually, for an advisor like me, drive me nuts. So there's been a big push from FINRA and other organizations saying, 
whatever investment is, it has to be the cheapest because that's the best. It's not the best. And, and I'll argue with anybody all day long on this. You know, if you have one mutual fund, I'm just making up a, a number here, Tom, uh, that charges a half a percent, and you have another mutual fund that charges 1%, which one is the best mutual fund now, Tom? It's a trick question. Yeah, well, you, you don't know until you look at what's in it. Well, it's whatever one gives you the best rate of return. Well, right, right. Okay. You know, and, and so people don't look at that, and that's the unfortunate part. And so um, when you look at the fees of a mutual fund, they have to be published on what they are, but um, it doesn't tell you how good the fund is going to be versus one of the others. Um, I think a better indicator is just how is this fund done when the market has gone up? Is it the top of the tier? And you can find that stuff out, folks, by looking online. You can say, is it in the top, top quartile of all funds when the markets are going up? And then I also like to take the next step and say, how is it on the way down? Um, how does it do? So I want it to be the best on the way up and the best on the way down. And you tend to get more consistency of rate of return out of a fund family like that. And I'm a big fan of that, and I like looking at that. Now, the fees, of course, sometimes the fees can be so crazy you just don't want to touch them because it just doesn't make any sense. But for most mutual funds, you're going to range anywhere between, say, about 0.6 to about 1.5 for an internal fee on the inside. I'll describe how those work here in a second, folks. And then usually U.S. funds are cheaper. Um, That's probably more of the 0.6 to 1% range. The international funds or global funds are more expensive, more the 1 to the 1.5 range. Um, international stuff and global stuff takes a lot more work. I mean, you have to have that stuff exchanged back to the U.S. dollar and that kind of stuff on a daily basis. A lot more work to do. But how the fees work, and most people say, well, I never see them take that out of my account, and they don't. So in the easiest way I can say this is this. What happens, Tom, is let's say you have that 1% fee for the mutual fund. So what happens is at the end of the business day, one 270th of that 1% comes off of the, the, the fund right off the bat. And what's left over is what you see in the newspaper, or you see in your 401ks and so forth, is the NAV or the net asset value after the expense. That's what you see in the paper, that's what you see online. So some people will say, well, Merle, why do they take out one 270th on a daily basis? Well, if you take a year, cut the weekends off, it's 270 business days. And so that's how we see those fees. You and I will never see those fees, Tom. I guarantee you've never seen that fee recorded inside of your 401k investments in your lifetime. But they come out every day and they have to be disclosed. So with it then, people say, well, geez, I want the cheapest one. No, it's not the cheapest one. It's the one that puts the most money inside of your pocket, inside of your 401k, your investments, your IRAs. Those are the best ones. So it doesn't matter if a fund is loaded, not loaded, unloaded, double secret unloaded, double secret loaded. It's the which one is making me the most money and doing what I want it to do. Those are the funds you want to choose. Um, and I'll have that argument all day long uh, with people. And the latest one is people will say, you know, I only want ETFs because they're cheap and inexpensive. In fact, we have somebody uh, that just came to us um, had a brokerage fund out in Colorado, and I'm just going to, I'm not going to say their name, obviously, but they said all they use is ETFs because they're inexpensive. I said, yeah, but they're charging you 1.5% to buy them. So now it's 1.5% plus the 30 and 40% for the ETF. Now you're at 2%. How much was the fund? Well, like one. Uh, ta-da, was that cheaper? No. How's your rate of return? Eh, about the same. Um, so that's some of so, the, the stuff that's out there that do, people just don't see sometimes. Do you ever convince someone of this when you're having these discussions? And what do you do if you don't convince them and they want to do something that is contrary to your suggestions? You know, Tom, You know, in, as a financial advisor, what we try to do is just say, here's the fees that you're paying and here's what you're getting. Um, are you getting what you're paying for? And if the answer is no, well, then we should do something different. Um, if somebody's getting for what they're paying for, then you keep them where they are. You know, we had uh, some people who had some annuities that came over from a, another company, and 
So the brokerage stuff, we took care of the brokerage stuff. We went through the analysis on the annuities, and, and the ones that they had were doing great for them. Uh, they bought some stuff on the inside of that that uh, they couldn't replace. And we said, we want you to keep these annuities, um, uh, keep them going. We had to make some adjustments on uh, beneficiaries, that type of stuff from the state firms for it. And we told them to keep them because what they did was some stuff that doesn't exist anymore and some great products. If it's good, you keep it. If it stinks or you're paying some, paying for something you're not getting, um, and sometimes you've got to make a choice and save yourself some money and hopefully improve the rate of return along the way too. Here's a, uh, a, a trivia question for you. Not, folks, I didn't give them him this ahead of time, so I'm, I'm going to catch him <laughs> on this probably. But oh, no. Do you know who is the uh, largest owner of farmland in the country? Uh, Bill Gates. Yeah, you read that. Isn't that I, I was yeah. fascinated by that. That yeah, Bill Gates is the largest owner of private farmland in the country. Two hundred sixty-nine thousand acres of farmland across eighteen states. He's purchased all of that in less than a decade. Um, and uh, according to the CEO of the American Farmland Trust, John Piatti, he says it's an asset with increasing value. It has great intrinsic value, and beyond that, it is a limited resource. Of course, they're not making yeah. any more of it. Um, and the idea is that there are a lot of, uh, you know, family farms out there where farmers are land rich but cash poor who are selling their land and getting out of the, the farming business, or at least yeah. they're selling the land and then renting it back or whatever the case may be. Um, well, so another thing that's interesting in there, too, and let me on this year, same thing. Uh, T. Boone Pickens has been a big oil guy for his whole life. You know what? He owns more of now than oil? Water. Uh, water well, rate. right, yeah. Th- th- there was th- th- there were concerns about that. Do we want do we want any private entity owning um, wa- owning and controlling water supply? I mean, that sounds like a that sounds like one of those uh, dystopian movies from the seventies where it almost sounds like a James Bond situation where someone. In fact, I think that was the plot of a James Bond movie, wasn't it? That, the, <laughs> that one of the villains was going to control the water supply in South America or something. Um, is that a good Is that a good thing? Even well, even if you, know, you even if you have the uh, you know an investor with a lily white reputation who is known for his uh, altruism and his you know all of that, do we want private entities? And, well, there's, and, there's always two sides of that equation. One is, you know, fortunately, we have regulation and commerce that help it. That if they do something bad, you can break them apart and, and force them to, to break stuff up. Um, but the other part of it is you have to look at you know can they specialize in something um, as a larger corporation than what we could do individually. And if the answer is yes, well, maybe they have the ability to uh, uh, to do it better or faster or supply it at a cheaper rate. And I don't know if that's the case, but that's always the two sides of the coin you have to look at. Um, I don't have a person, if a person wants to own a lot of water rights, right? There's the word I want to say. Um, you know, always, always uh, what is the intent? Just like Bill Gates. He doesn't look like the farming type to me, uh, but he's buying it as an asset um, uh, because it's not going to go down in value. And uh, uh, hopefully uh, there's still growing some food and some good food and put some assets at and drive prices down. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the land that he's purchasing is just leased back to young farmers who are still growing things like carrots and onions and potatoes or yeah. whatever the case may be. Um, so with the situation with real estate the way it is, there are so few houses out there to buy. I would imagine in the investment real estate market is is not in great shape right now because there just isn't anything to buy. And if you buy something, you got to overpay for it. What about just buying land, whether it's – farmland or wooded land or hunting land is land still a situation where as we said they're not making any more of it is that still should that still be a part of your portfolio and how do you how do you make it a part of your portfolio like anything else land typically doesn't give you any money back so you're just spending money for it and i just uh 
Uh, my wife and I just bought uh, 60 acres up here in the Northwoods. And what's amazing to us is that before we closed, the price went up 15%. We just kind of giggled at ourselves and said, geez, we should have bought some more. Um, and basically, folks, what I bought was a swamp and little trees. Now, we, we bought it for another business we have uh, we want to do coming up here next year. Um, it, but we look at the prices. Are you kidding me? Because by the time we, well, the price we bought it for is a little more than I would have thought we should have paid. So we paid for it because it, it, it fits where we wanted the direction, what it's supposed to do. Um, but then by the time we closed, the uh, uh, the company that's selling off is, is you know, old paper land. They're selling it. They actually increased the price by 15% by the time we closed within 60 days. Because they can, because they have more offers, right? I mean, yeah, because have... the, the drive of the marketplace yeah. is just coming up so much. Um, so now there's actually 40 acres we looked at doing for something different, um, and they've increased the price, uh, uh, well, I guess it would be about 12% since then. So it's, it's just amazing how that happens. Now, I look at this. That land isn't going to, to, to generate any money to me. Uh, land's not going to do that. Um, I mean, the potential, what I do on it could be. Um, uh, so when you're buying land, you're buying it because you're holding it. It's not making any money along the way unless you're releasing it or something like that, which um, we're certainly not going to do. But um, land you're buying for the long term to resell it at another time, unless it's going to go into the family or something like that. All right, 715-845-2155. We need to take one more break. We'll come back with more. If you have a question from Earl about your portfolio, give us a call. Today's the day. Give us a call at 715-845-2155. We'll be right back. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could us for really. Finding cures, saving children. Learn more at stjude.org. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your attorney, accountant, financial advisor, or tax advisor prior to investing. This show contains forward-looking statements that may not come true. Securities Investment Advisory Services offered through Grove Point Financial, member FINRA SIPC, Grove Point Financial, and Kelch & Associates are unaffiliated companies. And, folks, this program is intended for Wisconsin residents only. And we're back here in the studio. I'm Tom King. Merle Kelch joining us on location today. He can take your questions, 715-845-2155. What else is on your mind this morning? A couple little tidbits here, Tom. You know, first of all, uh, it looks like next week Pfizer-Moderna's COVID vaccine is going to actually reach full FDA approval. So we'll see what changes with that. Um, that will be interesting to, uh, to note. I'm guessing maybe not much, but uh, maybe we see more people taking vaccinations as a result of that. There is something that popped up on, and, and folks, if you ever want to try something fun, uh, well, it's fun for me because I'm kind of a weirdo at this stuff, but uh, Market Watch, which is where we tend to uh, dig our stuff up for this program, has a thing they have weekend reads. And it's becoming more and more prominent. Um, it used to call it the weekly top 10 when we started doing this stuff 20 years ago, Tom, but now they call it weekend reads. Um, and they got a lot of little nice tidbits in there. So it's a, you know, a couple paragraphs on the, the highlights of the week, and, and I really like reading that. And so in here, there's an article that uh, Philip uh, Van Dorn did. Um, and it basically talks about this past week, whether you knew it or not, T-Mobile had just a major uh, leak of data, which included right. yeah. birth dates, Social Security numbers, uh, you know, the, the whole bit. Millions, millions and millions of people, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so in here, I want to share something we had from a speaker. Now, uh, the speaker happened to be friends with one of the officers of uh, – uh, HBEC, which is our broker-dealer, now name change. And people say, when did you go to – it's now Grove Point, which is – you hear that name now, folks. Um, it's the same firm. They just did a name change. Okay, but um, but friends. And so we had the uh, the head of the Secret Service, and the Secret Service is in charge of all the, the Internet theft and all that sort of data. 
And I've used this reference before, but I want to say this again. If you think somebody doesn't already have your social security number or birth date out there, you're wrong. And according to them, when he had this uh, speech for us in a conference we had, he said, they already have it. They said, it's already out there. The only difference, the reason that they're not getting into your account is because they haven't been able to hack into it yet, and they're going to hack into the ones that are easy. Or it's, it's just not, maybe not worth it to them that they can yeah, um, <laughs> go on to uh, to bigger game. Yeah, That's you know, probably when they look at my accounts. Yeah. yeah, as I was going through divorces, Tom, I wish somebody would have stole my <laughs> my yeah. stuff just to improve upon it. Right. You know, but you know, going in here, um, so so this is where passwords really really come in, folks. You, you got to have stuff with passworded, um, and at the same time, I think it's, it's good for everybody to have your you know computers and this kind of stuff encrypted. Um, just because, you know, Tom, if uh, your stuff does not have any passwords or I can guess that your password is your birth date or your wife's birth date or your anniversary date, um, um, I'm going to get into your stuff and it's going to be a lot easier than Merle Kelch, who everything they has has got passwords and encryptions to it. Um, well, I could do some work that I'm going to steal Tom's instead. Um, but in here, folks, make sure you do this. Now, I've got so many passwords and some of the passwords are so long and have different bits is I have to use the paper stuff and write it down on paper so I can see it. <laughs> so that, you know? doesn't that defeat the purpose? <laughs> kind of in a certain way. I mean, if somebody ever finds my little black book, man, yeah. it's, it's terrible. Um, but, you know, the thing is is that, you know, you, you have to make sure you're changing that stuff regularly. Our industry, we have to change our passwords every 30 days. And it's, and it's always, it has to be minimum eight, you know, eight letters, and it's got a number. One of them, you have to put aluminum foil on your head. That one's really weird for a password, but it uh-huh. works out okay. Yeah. And, but you have to make sure you, you protect your data out there. And I know a lot of us, we use the same one all the time and, and, and can't do that stuff anymore, folks. You know, um, uh, especially when you see stuff like this at T-Mobile where somebody, you know, got all the sensitive data. Somebody probably already has your data that's out there, but uh, you want to make sure that you're changing your passwords regularly on stuff. What does that do for a company like T-Mobile? Are they going to get uh, hit with people leaving their their service and, and picking another one? You know, what I think what's finding is that people aren't leaving the service, um, um, but I think T, uh, T-Mobile should really do some stuff and say, well, um, we're buying LifeLock for everybody for two I think years they, or three years I, or five years. I think they announced that they were doing that. Did yeah. they announce that? Yeah, okay, yeah, good. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think that's just the right thing to do to uh, make sure you're putting that lock well, is, uh, But if you had with, T-Mobile with, right now, I'd be changing all of your passwords, your accounts, everything, get rid of your credit cards, get new ones. I'd yeah. do the whole crap. All right, well, we're out of time for today. If folks want to get a hold of you on Monday, how can they do that? Well, Monday, folks, stop in at 3rd Avenue and Bridge Street. We will be there. Stop in and kick the tires, have a cup, have a cup of coffee with juice. You can give us a call in Wassa, 715-849-3600, outside of the Wassa area at 866-355-5100. Or, as always, find us online at kelchinassociates.com. All right, we'll talk to you again next week. All right, my friend. Merle Kelch, Kelch and Associates here in Wassa on the program today. We're coming up on 9 o'clock. We've got the news next. The Polka Show is on the way. And then some special programming notes today. If you're a sports fan, be aware that the Brewer game today will be moved to our sister station, 93.9 The Game, AM 1390, uh, because of Packer football. So you'll be able to hear the Brewers and the Washington Nationals this afternoon on AM 1390, FM 93.9 The Game, pregame show at 235. Packer football here against the Jets. It's a late afternoon kick. Packer game day begins at 1 o'clock this afternoon. All right here on WSAU.